Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today, we're going to have another very interesting and important show. I have invited back Dwayne Elgin, and this time his lovely wife, Colleen Elgin, filmmaker, to talk about their latest work, a book that Dwayne wrote called Choosing Earth. And I'm first going to tell you a little bit about them both. And then we're going to go headlong into discussing the fundamental tenets of the book and also show you a clip of the film that Colleen made based on this particular subject, which is tantamount and salient for honestly all of our lives. And that'll get fleshed out as the uh, interview goes on. So a few words about Dwayne. Uh, Dwayne, uh, has an extraordinary background, actually. Social scientist, two years on the senior staff of a presidential commission, uh, President Nixon, on the American future. Six years working as a senior social scientist with the Futures Group at SRI International, where he conducted research on the deep future for the National Science Foundation, the President's Science Advisor, the Environmental Protection Agency, and more. Dwayne is also the author of some five books that look into the deep future, looking at different aspects of that future for us all to uh, sort of, you could say, prepare for. And uh, so it's really a pleasure to have Dwayne back on A Better World. His wife, Colleen Elgin, will be joining us again today. Well, for the first time, actually, today, a uh, filmmaker. She develops and leads educational programs and media that explore our time of great transition. She's produced, directed, and co-wrote the documentary film, Facing Adversity and Choosing Earth, Choosing Life, which you'll be seeing a little bit of. For over 15 years, her documentary work, both short and long form, has focused on pioneers of consciousness and spiritual growth. Examples are science and sacraments, psychedelics, research and mystical experience, the way of the shaman, the work of Michael and Sandra Harner, and videos for the Johnny e. Fetzer Memorial Trust, including Johnny e. Fetzer Retrospective. So it's really a pleasure to have both of these lovely people on today that are uh, shaking our world down to the roots, quite honestly. And uh, in a way that I will also say we need. We need to see what's really going on to really grok it, if you will, to be a little science fictional about it. But right back to Earth, then showing us where we go from here to make a difference in our world and to turn things around. So, Dwayne, Colleen, a pleasure to have you both. Thank you, Mitchell. Thank you, Mitchell. Really good to be here with you. Yeah, great to be I'm here so with glad. you. so glad. Old friend. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. We require old friendship to move this world forward. Indeed. Uh, really. I mean, that's the foundation right there. We require old friendships, new friendships. We require community. This is a core theme for Colleen. Um, in a way, that's where we end, is where we're beginning right now. Is with community. I think that's really a very good point. We sort of begin and end with community. It's yeah. it's it's and if you want to get kind of a biological about it, that's the way we've survived. I really like telling people it's through community, through clan, through tribe, through storytelling, actually, and the building of oxytocin through love of the community <laughs> that we were able to deal with predators. Yes. Yeah. Well said, uh, Mitchell. Um, well, let's dive in. And, let's dive uh, in. You have much to, to share with us, Dwayne. And then we're delighted, Colleen, to see a clip of the video. And that will be a, a presaging for others to come and tune in uh, at greater length. So, Dwayne, your book is thorough. It's critical. It's deep. Take us through what you feel are the primary tenets that you would like people to know about. 
Okay. Let, let me start by uh, a bit of diagnosis. Uh, how do we look at this in the first place? What is happening in the world? Because the world has never gone through a time of transition of planetary scale that involves all of us, and not just the humans, but the other forms of life that inhabit the world as well. And so um, to, to make it as simple as possible, we bring three perspectives to this inquiry, wide, deep and long. We bring a wide perspective. We say it's more than just climate change. So many people are focusing on the emergency of climate change. That's very important, but it's not the whole story. Uh, we also have profound, uh, a, a mass extinction underway right now of species around uh, the earth. Uh, we're running out of water. The groundwater is being pumped dry around the earth. And so farming and the ability to feed ourselves is being compromised if we will look a bit wider and see the drought uh, emerging around the planet. Uh, there's profound, severe inequities of well-being. And this has to be factored into the pathway ahead. So the point is, uh, there, there are many more, but we need to look wide beyond single issues. We need to look deep beneath the surface of material changes, uh, a new solar panel on the roof, a new electric car, and so on. That's great, but we need to look even deeper than that to the changing values, the changing mindsets, the changing consciousness, the changing paradigm of how we look at reality itself and our place in it. Then we need to look long. Typically, uh, people are looking maybe two years in advance if it's the big corporations, maybe five to ten years in advance, uh, some academics. We are looking 50 years into the future. And if you put these three together, look wide, look deep, look long, it changes how you see things. Uh, we don't have to impose upon people. Just the looking itself is transformative. Mm -hmm. So um, that's a good kind of prelude, I think, to uh, the wonderful work Colleen has done uh, with her filmmaking, her documentary. And it provides a, a it's a 70 minute documentary where it's going to look at a very brief minute and a half clip. Uh, but it helps set the stage for looking into this further future and our time of transition. That's wonderful. That's a great intro, Dwayne. Thank you. It sets the. It sets the frame of how we are being invited by you to conceive of what we have before us. Yeah. So I, we need to have those different parameters, yes. you know, the X, Y, and Z axis. Yes. Well, that's right. Great. So let's take a look at this short clip. Oops. Actually, I got to go to screen share. Here we go. Great turning, which is what? It's a transition we're in. We're in it now. It's a transition. We're learning so much in science and in grassroots community building. It's not something we do instead of the collapse. It's something that can guide us through. <coughs> My preposition these days is through. Honey, we're going to have to go through this. The opportunity of this time is for us to evaluate and reassess our priorities as a species. We need to look at what our relationships are to each other, to our families, to our community, and really assess our values. We've arrived at a species-level conversation, our species, and we need to own this to find a path forward. We have entered an extraordinarily rare moment in humanity's collective journey. The path for generations to come will depend on people alive today. We cannot predict where humanity will go from here for one simple reason. Our future... Ooh, stop. Oh. Well, I'm sorry. Our food. I think we can finish that. Our future depends on it. And <laughs> depends on our individual and collective consciousness. That's actually what Dwayne was going to say. Mm -hmm. 
And that's really a good framing for the film is that we are definitely in a very challenging situation on the planet. And the answer to it isn't a simple solution. It's actually the deeper changes, as Dwayne pointed to. So with this documentary, um, we tried to bring together the why to give people a sense, because really it's kind of like growing muscles. Humanity, to work with what's happening now, we've got to grow into, you know, and develop kind of further skills, further muscle, so to speak, to open to our collective dimensions, you know, and to care about the whole planet, not just where we are, but really take it in. And so we, sh we in the in film, we explore those wide dimensions that Dwayne mentioned. And then we turn to kind of, in a sense, wi wisdom elders, and they speak to the challenge but also point out that really what's at the core is this change in consciousness. And also it's a, it's a profound shift from our individual um, separate selves into really recognizing and caring for all life on the planet. And that includes human life too. So um, all species and making that a priority, the, the care for, the restoration, the regeneration of life. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, um, what the film is looking at. And what we have found is that it, most people have pieces of that, but they don't have it all together. And so in our film talkbacks, um, there are some people that are very knowledgeable. And for them, it's not that new. Uh, and that's a very small percentage, but they're, they're out there. You know, they've been yeah. studying it. They know what's happening. But for most people um, at the film talkbacks, they say, you know, I haven't seen it pulled together quite like that. Mm -hmm. um, both seeing the challenges, but then looking deeply uh, through the eyes of the different elders, you know, what, wh what is at the core of this and having that expressed and in a sense mirrored back to us. So in a way, you could say the film is, a, you know, a global social witnessing you know, it's a way to see together and have more of us as we view it, see that that's the purpose of it is to the first step, as Dwayne has said, is, you know, it's awareness. As we step into awareness, then we can begin the next steps. But first, we have to recognize where we're at right now. And so that's really yes. the purpose. That's well put. That's well put, Colleen. I'm Thinking uh, as you're speaking of the famous uh, line from Albert Einstein and your reference to that, there isn't a simple solution, um, except for if you want to call the shifting of and the elevating of consciousness, a simple solution. Um, and that is the phrase, the sentence uh, that you cannot change a problem on the level on which it was created. That's right. I.e., you have to step it up and have a, a meta position, as we say in neurolinguistic programming. You know, you have to have a higher dimensional perspective that will allow you to see, you know, from the 30,000 viewpoint, um, what's there to, to grok, That's you know, true. like a gestalt. Yeah. That's how I kind of see what the work you both have done. It's, it's, the pieces of a puzzle that finally with the last piece, voila, there it is, you know? Um, Dwayne, would you talk a little bit about, you said it's not just climate change. By the way, I have to say that Paul Hawken, in an interview I did with him some time ago on his book, Drawdown, uh, corrected me because I used the phrase climate change. And he said, well, and I'm paraphrasing, climate's always changing. So that's not really precise. What's going on now is anthropogenic global warming mm -hmm. and global, you know, that's the issue that we're facing. And for some reason, the media has decided that's not a sexy enough name, but climate change is. But it's an inaccurate programming that's taking place because, whoa, it's, you know, what is that old Broadway show, Anthony Newley, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. You know, it doesn't go that way. You're not going to ever stop climate change, nor would you want to. But global warming, anthropogenic, that's another conversation. So would you pick that up? And sure. 
Sure. Let me throw in another uh, famous quote. And this is from uh, Ted Turner. Ted Turner once said to me, uh, Dwayne, a problem recognized is a problem half solved. Now, do we actually recognize the problem that we're facing so we can actually salute, uh, solve it? Yes. And, and so in a way, that's what we're doing, looking wide, deep and long and say, wait, let's look at the full dimensions of this challenge that we're facing. Now, in addition, later in, in the program, hopefully, we'll look at another aspect of Ted Turner's quote, <laughs> that a problem recognized uh, or an opportunity recognized is an opportunity half realized. Can we recognize the opportunities here so we can realize them? So that's an integral part of the work that we're doing, uh, not just the difficulty, but also the opportunity. So let's go uh, back to the beginning. What you raised climate, not change, but uh, climate transformation, actually. And, and here's how it's being framed now to put it into its most clear terms, in, in my estimation. For the last 100,000 years or so, uh, carbon dioxide has not gone, gone over 278 parts per million in the atmosphere. And we've had periods of warming and cooling, warming and cooling, and so on. It's never gone over 278. Now, uh, this is like taking a thermometer to the planet. It's never gone over 278. And Bill McKibben comes along and say, we must stop it at 350. Mm -hmm. it, we, we haven't. But three, going beyond 350 was moving then into the danger zone. You can stay at 278, a lot's going to happen. But if you go over 350, it's into the danger zone. We're now at 420 parts per million. And, and the understanding is if we get to 450, it goes beyond the danger zone to the catastrophe zone. And the point is, with that simple measure, uh, danger between uh, 350 parts and 450, that's the danger zone. We're at 420, ready to go over that. That's going into the catastrophe zone fast. So this is urgent. This is people like, well, technology will do this. It will do that. No, we are in an urgent situation. And the magnitude of that urgency is global. It's planetary. And it just doesn't planetary for humans is urgent for the well-being of all life in the oceans and on the land and so on. We could speak at length about that. I won't. Uh, but I do want to say it, the problem is of that magnitude and that urgency. All the way from the smallest amoeba and algae to the most sophisticated organism on land. That's right. That's right. That's right. So that's All sentient life. Yes. Yeah. So there's setting the frame for the conversation. And do you yeah. have anything you want to well, do? Do you want to add about the temperature, one degrees? You know, either Go ahead. way. Well, the other piece that goes yeah. with that that really affects life on the planet is that for thousands of years, you know, hundreds of thousands, we had a temperature that was very rough. It would go, you know, from many ice ages to very hot times. And about 10,000 years ago, the temperature stabilized. And that's what the modern world is based on. We basically have about a one degree Celsius going, you know, a little narrow pathway. And that has created the world that we all enjoy and all of life on this planet enjoys. Well, we're now at risk of sending it back to what it was prior to that time. And that is just terrifying. You cannot grow food in a modern world you cannot have the diversity of plants and animals if the temperature is, you know, if we're soaring into completely different climate stages, yep. you know, from extreme colds to extreme hots. What are what what defines extreme heat or extreme cold from that larger, longer historical perspective? Well, it would be uh, let's let's say a person their temperature goes from uh, ninety eight point eight or whatever and it starts going up to 102 103 4 and then you're moving into the danger zone of, of brain death if you get up over sustained 104 degrees temperature get up to 106 you're you're a goner now what we're doing to the earth is equivalent 
for the human being to go mm-hmm. above 104 degrees, you're going beyond the danger zone into the catastrophe zone if it's sustained. And indeed, we are moving into a sustained high temperature world. And if it goes beyond 420 to 450, it's catastrophe. The, the planet will be uninhabitable uninhabitable by a majority of life forms uh it will be radically changed that much uh, a mass extinction so i don't want to belabor uh that but but that is we're on the verge of an uninhabitable future and most people don't recognize it that's the yes. key thing they yep. know there's a challenge but what they're not recognizing is how close we are to an extremely dangerous situation yeah that we do need to act now, actually. So we have a window of opportunity here. Let's get clearer. Let's be mature uh, citizens of the earth in understanding that window of opportunity. Uh, So then if we start looking ahead and say, well, what's going to unfold here? Well, then we have been speaking about three futures as we go out and and talk with people around uh, the world. And uh, Colleen has uh, some video to help uh, clarify or, or illustrate those futures. Excellent. Um, and I, let me just summarize them. Uh, the th- three futures summary, summarizing are uh, one is a future of, of chaos and collapse. The other is a future of authoritarianism that emerges strongly as a planetary uh, phenomenon, and it's emerging now. And the third future is one of what I call f- freedom. It's the freedom future, where we're not, if, if we're in a future... I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> if we're in a future, think about it, of collapse and, and chaos, there's the constraint. There's not enough food. There's conflict. It's, we're really going to be constrained there's not a lot of freedom in that future surveillance state yeah well the authoritarian future then is one of where there's deliberate control of people to prevent them uh from acting in a way their freedom might uh upset the uh, upset the world and the third future that of self-organizing mature individuals on a planetary scale we say okay we'll do this ourselves we can handle this ourselves there's freedom in that so let's take a quick look at each of these three futures first of all the future of crash and collapse so it begins with a great unraveling. That's happening right now. The unraveling then moves into what we call the great fall. If it's unraveling, it can't hold itself together. If it can't hold itself together, it falls. The great fall of institutions and ecosystems around the earth produces a time of great sorrow. And the great sorrow then leads to uh, surrender and uh, a time of global collapse at the great collapse into a uh, configuration that I just mentioned, the earth is no longer habitable. So that is one real pathway that's developing right now, because we are going into a time of unraveling in the 20s. We are expected, if we continue along, to go into a great fall in the 30s, the great sorrow in the 40s, and so on. So let's look at the second pathway. That's the authoritarian pathway with artificial intelligence and biotechnology as well. There, it begins the same as the first did with a great unraveling, a great fall. And at that time, as we're falling apart, there are other forces that are saying, let's clamp down on this. Let's pull it together. Let's prevent uh, the, the time of great sorrow from fully manifesting. That's the huge die off of people and um, other species. And so the great sorrow then uh, results in a pullback. Uh, <clears throat> preventing us from hitting the, the evolutionary wall, and instead it moves into a great uh, dictatorship of the, the entire Earth. You want to mention the yellow arrows? Go ahead. And the yellow arrows from the left are really all of us, the movement that's trying to make the change. And in the first one we saw, and this one, it's not enough. So we there's not enough movement and not enough of a shift, and so it's overtaken. Um, by mm-hmm. the other forces. But if we go along here to the next one. So it's uplift is very important here. 
where's the uplift? So once again, then the yellow arrows. So in this one, it's um, the yellow arrows coming from the left is the uplift that mixes as we're coming down into the fall and helps support a lift into a different future. So it's, it's and that looks like it's coinciding in the 2040s. Yes. So uh, what I would expect, uh, unless we choose otherwise, and we simply we do have choice, uh, choose the earth, choose it or lose it. OK, I do see a time of unraveling and yes. a, a great fall moving toward a great sorrow, time of great sorrow. I, I on all three, they're all three collapsing at the, at the outset. The question is, once we see that is what is happening, what are we going to do about it? We get, we've had an opportunity already to uh, over the last 50 years uh, to anticipate what's happening right now. Mm-hmm. But let's say we continue along. There is the unraveling through the 20s. There's a it falls apart in the 30s. And uh, then we see this is really, really serious. We're going to have to step up here as mature citizens of of an an injured earth. And the sorrow then becomes a catalyst for action, for change, for pulling together as a human family, for the community that we spoke about at the outset. And with that, there is a time of collective awakening and collective healing of the earth. And we're choosing the earth as our our long-term home for the future. And that is a pathway that can emerge realistically in in my estimation and back here again in the 2020s where the lift is the yellow areas the arrows the movement happening now for consciousness change for growth um, for regeneration that is planting seeds before we get to the 2040s so all those seeds count all that work is going to mix in with it and give us the lift at the time we need it Now, how much that's just brilliantly laid out, and I thank you for it. How did you determine when what happens? Yes. First, my first question. Yes. So, thank you. So, uh, the book Choosing Earth has uh, almost 40 pages of footnotes. This is a deeply, even though it's, uh, I guess, 160 pages, uh, it is a deeply researched book. Mm-hmm. And, and it draws on these estimations from the National Science Foundation, uh, from, uh, from the United Nations work, uh, from scholars around the world. It's an integral, it's integrated scholarship from around the world to come to these estimates. And uh, I did not want to, to present this kind of future early, early on. This is not where I started. I was pushed again and again to this understanding. And I was hoping, well, we could say we're going to turn the corner. We're going to use technology and our, and our wits, and we're not going to go into a time of unraveling and crash. Uh, so it was only, and Colleen could speak to this, but I was very reluctant to come to that point of view, actually. Mm-hmm. And I'm still pushed uh, to come uh, deeply into that perspective. Uh, but this is the data from the United Nations and from the scientists of the world. They're saying this is where we're going. And uh, it's, it's deeply, deeply disturbing uh, to me to actually confront this work day in and day out sure. and where we're headed. And so because so many people feel, well, we've got a little more time or well, we can use technology to make this difference or well, we don't have to make that big a change, do we? And so on. So this is difficult to bridge where we are now with where we're going and the choices that we can make constructively to move into a promising future. Yes, I hear you. You know, one of the features of your book that I sound so funny, but I enjoyed was the extensive discussion about the role of grieving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the argument has been made, you two, as you both well know, that grieving has been something that has been struck so much from our society. Even though every single ancient tradition on the planet has a very specified period of grieving in a life cycle, in our modern day, 
We just don't want to take the time for it. We don't want to take the time for elderly people. We don't want to take the time for burial and death and that process of grieving and all that that means. And I, I really salute you in taking the time to lay that out in the book. And of course, inside that, you keep talking about opportunity because in that space of letting go of what's so dear to us, sometimes it's another person, sometimes now it's the planet herself, you know, that we can start to rebuild in a new conscious, conscientious way, uh, a new kind of future. Yes. If we're grieving, uh, there's recognition there. We're not going back uh, to how it used to be in grief. There's there's surrender to what is to say, let, we better love what's here because we're not going back to the way it used to be. Now, if we can grieve and allow what is true to be true. Uh, the reality of what we're confronting, then we can step up with courage and and create a, a new future, new pathway into the future for ourselves that integrates these serious trends uh, that we spoke about at the outset. So, um, yeah, anything it, about grieving? You wanna... Well, just that, you know, the first step with that is to really let ourselves feel what's happening on the planet. It's hard because we're going through a lot. We just, you know, we're still in a pandemic. But when we let in, you know, the, the destruction to the planet, you know, it's very, very challenging. But when we let that feeling in, when we start little by little, letting it come in, what we come to is so much profound gratitude for this gift that we've been given of the planet. And that brings the energy to want to save it, to want to do everything we can to restore it, to protect it, and to make sure that it's here for future generations. Yes. So, but as we, you know, it's so it's the opposite of what we think. We're pushing away, pushing away. I don't want to feel it, don't want to know it. I can't feel it. But actually, we can. We are part of the planet. Of course, we can yes. feel it. We are the planet. So as we let it in, we're going to love it. And when we love something, we won't let it die. We will care for it. We'll well, no, Colleen, thank you for that. I think it's so important and to touch into the space of gratitude, which has such inspiring qualities to it. And it does. It inspires one toward love. I mean, it's a neighbor of love. That's and right. uh, that means you want to embrace it. You want to choose it. You want to help it live and beget more, if you will, to be biblical about it. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's just so important. You know, it's so interesting. There's the historical perspective, which you've laid out, um, historical futuristic in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, etc. And then there's, you know, the phenomenological view, which is that at any given moment, anything can change. Absolutely. That's right. It's just so interesting that at any given moment along the historical and futuristic uh, trajectory, we can collectively say, OK, I got it enough. Let's collapse and burn and crash and build today. <laughs> you know, it's just one of the miracles of life. Right. Right. So. <laughs> I don't want to be uh, overly enthusiastic about such a change happening where let's say the big fossil fuel companies have a moment of awakening and saying, you know, I think we have to go down a different path. So therefore we are going to divest 99% of what we're doing into green renewable fuels tomorrow. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I don't want to be naive, but it is just kind of, it tickles you to think that we could come together like that at any moment. We could. So just, would you talk to that a little sure. bit? Like Happily. Um, <laughs> at the outset, I, I had this quote from Ted Turner and yes. uh, I adapted it to a problem, an opportunity recognized as an opportunity half realized. If we will recognize the opportunity to come together, 
and choose a new future, it's very close. And what I like to do is, is to share with people uh, the, the cell phone that they have, because that cell phone is a vehicle of radical transformation. Mm-hmm. Right now, 60% of people on this planet have access to one of these and, and the Internet. And that means a majority of us right now could speak to one another about the future that we want. And the future we don't want. Right. By the end of this decade, 60% is going to grow to 75%. This is growing rap- astonishingly rapidly. And low Earth satellites are being put around the Earth right now, thousands of them, to engage with people in rural areas that currently don't have access to the Internet. So you can see why this is going to grow. So we have the tools to communicate if we want it. Do we have the motive? You bet we have the motive. We're, we're going to go into uninhabitability if we don't choose a way of living that is sustainable uh, and uh, surpassing uh, on this planet. So we have a very strong motive. We have the technological tools. What's required is the will to use it. And well, how, how do you get that? Well, you get Mitchell to come on with his programs and to say, "Look, we have choice here. It's not <laughs> Hello, a, everybody. You, know? <laughs> yeah. If we if we if we recognize the opportunity, we can use it and and move into that future. So that's how I feel. Um, but this is quite radical as to stand outside of nation state politics to planetary politics of a species, a species politics, if you will. It's a new game that needs to emerge on the earth. Yes, yes. Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I like to chunk things down to a micro level, sort of like fractal, because when we talk about things like global warming, by and large, it's out of people's grasp. It's just, it's too big to yeah. really, you know, I keep using the word grok, you know, to cognize. Yes. And uh, uh, so I, I was recently on Earth Day um, hosting and emceeing an Earth Day event in New York. Well, online, but this time, but uh, which I've done for some years. And my talk was about, just one's own personal habitat, Mm -hmm. that we want to keep our homes in order, Mm -hmm. clean, tidy, neat, organized, orderly. And you really can't even conceive of not having that level of orderliness and cleanliness and respect for one's home. But that's a level on which we can all relate And then if you tell people, imagine all the books were on the floor and all the videos are scattered everywhere and your clothes are out of their, you know, closets and all and just forming a big heap. You go, wait a minute, this is madness. No way I'm going to live like this. (laughs) You know, the toilets are overflowing. There's no water out of the faucet. All of a sudden, the whole story about global warming starts to come home, you know? And anyway, I just wanted to offer that thought. So it becomes very personal all of a sudden. And if we can go from that micro to a larger macro, you know, we may stand a chance to look at what each individual can do to play a role in, in a new future. Yes. Yeah. yeah, there's so much that we can do. There's because we require a, a whole systems change. Uh, why deep and long? We require a whole systems change. Yeah. And well, what does that mean? It means uh, the work, perhaps, that we do, the clothes that we wear, uh, the car that we drive, the home in which we live, the food that we eat. It just goes on and on. Well, you can say, well. I can change my diet. We're talking about that now, eating less meat uh, as, a, as a society. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cl- clothes that I wear after the pandemic, people are saying, well, you know, I don't need all those clothes. I just, it, I see the... Uh, Sweatshirt the tra- too. <laughs> yes. The, the transportation I use, I, okay, I can change that towards more fuel. fuel. You, you see, you can just go, it's huge, which means that everyone can find a place where they can play a role. 
And I say again and again, what we need to find is uh, our true gifts that we can bring to a world in great transition, because we each have different gifts to give. And a musician can have songs that would encourage us, inspire us. An architect would have homes that, that res respond to these kinds of changes. A, a teacher can have, well, I'm going to teach differently in my school. We each have a role to play here. Uh, it's a team effort. It's a community enterprise. Yes. So, um, yes. And, yes. and with that, we can then begin to look beyond the micro, as you were saying, to more macro. Okay, well, if I'm doing this and this with my life, what are other people going to be doing with their lives so we can pull together in common cause? So, um, Colleen. And that also includes just, you know, how we are together and in community. So that, mm -hmm. you know. That's such an important part of it. So there's all the pieces Dwayne mentioned, and then there's, you know, how are we showing up in humanity with each other? And how can we create it so that more people have opportunity, more people can contribute, you know, in bigger ways. So those inequities can start to come, you know, into more, right. uh, you know, Balance. collaborative, more collaborative projects. So that's another big, really big piece to it, you know, uh, just like climate justice, you know, for a long time now, many communities, communities of color, communities of indigenous people have really bared the brunt of climate Right. Uh, changes uh, because of where they live and where their land is and um, at developing countries. And so we really need to recognize that. And especially those of us of privilege that have education or economic privilege, you know, to, to start recognizing that more sharing needs to happen, way you more. know, way more sharing. Um, I'd like to ask you, I, 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 of course, am wholly aligned with your worldviews and, uh, cosmological view as well. Um, uh, and I'm wondering, you, you laid out a whole trajectory and I appreciate it from, you know, the grieving and the falling and the collapsing to the upsurge and all of that. But I don't really want to wait 30 or 40 years. I can help it. <laughs> so, with all due respect. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask you, um, you know, and I'm just playing with you because who knows, but you've graphed out a possibility that actually has a good level of probability underneath it based on the research you have done right. and the major depth research. So it's not lightly stated by you very clearly. And at the same time, and, and there's sort of some glee at the end of the trajectory. So we're all very happy about that. But as I say, we're an impatient species. and We don't want to wait. But at the same time, right now, we're sort of in the clutches of the beginning, um, in some measure, Dwayne, of the authoritarianism. And I'm just wondering, are there practical suggestions you have in dealing with the current divisiveness that is showing up in all areas of justice reform, prison reform, judicial reform, environmental reform, uh, lifestyle reform? Are there things that you see we could do to avert that part, the authoritarianism part, and come to the freedom part faster. Yes. Well, indeed there are. Uh, and it's so close that it's invisible. And uh, what, what I mean by that is uh, it was our ability to communicate that got us from awakening hunter-gatherers 10,000 years ago to where we are right now, speaking with one another, potentially at a global scale, yes. uh, with ease at a global scale. Now, in my mind, as communication goes, so goes the future. As the media goes, so goes the future. Mm -hmm. If I turn on television uh, in the United States, uh, I need to recognize that we are spending about a billion person hours every day, a billion 
person hours every day watching television still, even though we have the Internet. Now, the question in my mind is, what are, what's happening to us? We are being hypnotized day in and day out, a billion person hours a day, into the trance of consumerism, the trance of separation, who's up, who's down, where's the rat race of the human race. Uh, and so we are being hypnotized by a, the global media right now. But we own the airwaves. It's our media. It's us. And if we want to change, uh, let's say, attention to prison reform, to social justice and, and inequities and all the rest, we can do it. We just have to amp up the kind of creativity that you, Mitchell, are bringing to media and that Colleen is bringing to media and to have a global awakening of reflective consciousness because looking at television is an act of consciousness. It's saying, I see you and you're the mirror in which I, I can see you and you're the window in which I, I look out at the world. Uh, this is consciousness happening in what we're doing right now. So my point is, yes, we can do this. And the most powerful thing we can do to raise consciousness is to present the kinds of transformative media in the mass media that we own. Don't just give it up to NBC, ABC, CBS and Fox. Don't just give it up. Take it back. Take back the airwaves. Uh, take back. Use the Internet, not just for Facebook and such about me. It's about us. So my point is, yes, we can do it, but we have to step up the game. <laughs> From your mouth to God's ears, brother. <laughs> no, I agree with you completely. We're counting on you, Mitchell. <laughs> I've been saying the same no, thing brother. years. Our, our, our airwaves, not big farmers. <laughs> it's really true. It's really it's true. true. One of the points you make in the book that I actually shared with the Earth Day audience that I was hosting was the piece about how many hours per year are covering global warming. And it was enough to make you cry. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Well, I mean, those statistics are it is daunting. It is astonishing that you if you put to, in the United States, uh, CBS, NBC, ABC and Fox, four different major broadcasters and say, well, look, these guys are paying attention, aren't they? Well, OK, how much time total over a year mm -hmm. did they put into informing the public about climate change Four of them over a year? Well, about two hours. Now, that is, that's uh, <laughs> there's no way to run a modern democracy facing the kinds of challenges we face. It's no wonder we're drifting into catastrophe. No wonder the world's unraveling. We're, no one's watching. Uh, <laughs> we're watching, uh, you know, the entertainment programs. Forget, you know, the reality programs that are looking because they aren't there. So uh, this is a very, very serious challenge that no one uh, is really recognizing yet. But we must if we're going to shift this swiftly, in my estimation. So, Colleen and Duane, I want to bring this up because underneath or behind uh, the puppets on TV, refusing to talk about what's most important. I mean, uh, I sometimes think I'm watching a game show when I watch CNN and MSNBC yep. these days. I, I can't yep. stand what I see. Uh, all I see, honestly, is money going from hand to hand. That's what I see. I see a propaganda machine yes. that they may as well be working for the government because and they're not supposed to they're supposed to be the you know the fourth pillar if you will but behind this puppet game is the fcc correct yeah well oh, what no no it actually it isn't because what people don't realize is we literally legally 
own the airwaves. True enough. We, we own them. It isn't that the FCC gives them to us or that a corporation, a broadcaster gives. It's like the Constitution. No, know. it's ours. Ours. We own it. Right. And most, hardly anyone knows that we own this. Uh, and, and if we want it to be different, we have the legal right to ask for it to be different. But to make that ask, we have to come together in community to make that ask because they are responsible to the community, serving the public interest at a community scale. We And, and that's what we did in the 80s, uh, over 40 years ago. We said, look, we own the airways here in the San Francisco Bay Area. We want to use prime time to have a conversation about something that matters, which we did. We want to have a scientific sample of citizens so we can accurately judge how people feel about these things, not just their off-the-cup opinion. We want to know collectively how we feel. We demonstrated more than 40 years ago with 300,000 people watching this program that we could have a dialogue at a community scale. We could do this. Uh, we, you know, this is... This is it's the social will and the social imagination needs to be mobilized for us to engage in this kind of communication and move rapidly into this more promising future. I agree. How'd you do it? <laughs> I mean, doesn't the FCC, I mean, you're absolutely completely right. And maybe I'm, you and I are some of the few people that really know that about the airwaves. I've been spouting yeah. that forever. I said, you don't, you understand. Exactly. It's ours. It's ours. It's ours. <laughs> um, own it. Um, yes. <laughs> but would just as a legal mechanism, wouldn't that orchestration need to take place through the FCC or not no. necessarily? No, it does not. It's uh, is, no, there's a constitutional foundation of this. There's a legislative foundation to this. There are rulings of all different kinds. It is unequivocal. Uh, it requires the permission of no one except for us, the public, to just surrender to uh, a commercialized mindset and hypnosis. If we want to take back the airwaves, it doesn't require us to go knock on anyone's door and say, please, no, we we own it. We own it. It's ours. I love it. So I guess we have to form yet another organization. <laughs> Take back the airwaves yes. everywhere. Yes. So we had Bay Voice at the Bay Area, and we're also very thinking, um, very much thinking about Earth Voice. So here we all every time you turn one of these on is functionally an earth voice because it goes on the Internet and the Internet is global for the most part. Yes. So we, there it is. Uh, it doesn't require any miracles of technology or law. It's here right now. It requires the intelligence, the consciousness to use it. And the commitment. And yep. the commitment. Exactly. Very yeah. true. Very true. Well, we have covered some really good ground. I want to ask one more question, if I may. Uh, and we've kind of covered it, but I want to get it a little bit more nailed down. And that is you said that climate change or global warming is but one part of the larger picture right. of the consciousness that needs to change to move us forward. Could you both of you say something about that so I can, you know, the audience can really yeah. get that larger holistic perspective. Are you thinking of the change in consciousness or the, the integration across areas? Both. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I'll just speak to that briefly. Um, it, we're in a time that requires a, a change of the whole system. And we can sh start anywhere in the system. But if we start with climate change, most people recognize it. With mm -hmm. climate change, uh, we're going to, with every degree Celsius that we go up in temperature, 
agricultural productivity drops by roughly 15%. Now, if we go at the end of the century, the, the Trump administration thought we'd go up by four degrees Celsius. There, many feel that way. And that means there would be a 60% drop in agricultural productivity on the planet. At the same time, we're at 7 billion people now moving towards 9 billion. And if we have a drop in agricultural, agricultural productivity and an increase in temperature, it means famine. And with famine, it means conflict. So we're looking at a world for then connecting the dots. With famine, there's going to be a conflict, and people are going to be moving away from conflict like they have been doing in the Middle East. Uh, it took one million refugees. Yes, mm -hmm. climate refugees. It took one million climate refugees uh, to destabilize the politics of Europe. And we are looking at not one million, but billions, potentially three billion people uh, is a rough estimate, 3000 times the, 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 that impacted Europe. So now we start looking down, down the road. So then we have climate refugees and then we have cultural conflicts and, and um, transformation underway as a consequence of that. At the same time that's going on, we are disrupting and in effect crashing ecosystems, the ecosystems of the land as well as the water. I won't go into that. Uh, but those ecosystems, it goes beyond agricultural productivity to creating an ecosystem on the water that's really habitable for jellyfish and on the land for cockroaches. And so uh, we we're creating an, two ecosystems that are radically outside that which would be sustainable and supportive of of human population so we just we can just keep going around this circle of system dynamics and see whoa everything impinges upon everything else we have to take care of the whole system or we're in big trouble Absolutely. and you know and maybe the connection Thank on the community level is that, again, looking back at the three pathways, you know, what seeds can we plant now as we go further into the contractions of this initiation and awakening that's happening to us, mm -hmm. um, that's really waking us up to being here on behalf of all life. Um, so those seeds that we can plant now are going to be so important because as all those things are happening, it really will come down to a choice of how do we want to be with it? It's going to be a crisis. We're not going to avoid the crisis, but how we respond to it will make it all the difference. And so, um, you know, laying a foundation and planting seeds for connection and community, for more equity and sharing now, you know, for um, looking at how we're living, to, for recognizing the gift, the gratitude that you brought up, the gift of what we have. Those need to start happening now in a big, big way. Um, to help us make that. Yes, right. You know, that reminds me, Colleen, of another feature of the work that the two of you are doing, which is the voices of the indigenous people. Yeah. And it's such a kick in the you know what, mm -hmm. because, you know, we hold ourselves as a culture to be the most modern and the most advanced and the most technologically advanced and the smartest that has come down the pike. But the more I look, the less true I see that is. And we don't even have to go to ancient Egypt or ancient China or Atlantis for that matter to see major technological development that has long preceded what we have now. But just to go back to the indigenous people who we as a collective have so dismissed. And now it's like their intelligent words and wisdom are ringing in our ears uh, as really a blueprint of where we are now and where we're going. If, if, if. Could you just talk a bit about that because it was really a, a seminal point in the book as well. Uh -huh. I'd, I'd be honored to actually. Um, at the heart of the uh, indigenous wisdom, in, in as I understand it, is an appreciation of the universe as being alive. Mm -hmm. uh, 
They may put it in different terms, saying a great wind blows through the universe, animating, bringing to a life everything that exists. To me, that great wind that blows through it all is consciousness. Um, So there's a life force that was recognized and that was integral to everyday life for indigenous cultures. And so uh, they they would say, uh, well, there are three miracles. The first miracle is that there's anything here at all. The second miracle is that there are living things that exist that that no uh, the, the the second miracle I'm sorry is uh, plants and animals life that exists and the third miracle is a, there are living things that know they exist with a reflective consciousness and we say well that's us and like you just said we take that to be the, the extraordinary miracle of us and we forget the first miracle of life that there's anything yeah. here at all. And science and wisdom traditions are now coming together to say, you know, there, this does look like the universe is a super organism. It's the whole thing is alive. And then there are life forms that emerge within the aliveness life within life within life. Now that transforms the journey. It says we're not separate beings uh, in a material universe. We're together in a uh, in a super organism and we're all growing together. So let's recognize the unity of it all, the aliveness that infuses the whole thing. And let's grow together, learning how to live in this living universe and that's the indigenous understanding brought to a planetary scale I think it's just so important to keep that truly upfront and personal in our lives we we feel the organic intelligence of these words and it's the thing that can keep reminding us and for me their deep abiding love and respect for mother nature, you know, as, uh, as a living being. Yes. It's been a guide yeah. for me for so long. Yeah. You know, a living being. That's I, right. I so <laughs> laugh often at people who don't see it that way. They see it as a bunch of rock. And I said, well, don't you realize that everything that you have and everything that you are <laughs> is from mother earth? Is that mysterious? It's really not. <laughs> you know, it's just, uh, oh, yeah, it's true. My food, my air, my water, my everything. Yeah. That's right. Your mother. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. In closing, I'd love to hear Colleen and Dwayne just share with our audience just a few closing words that you would like us to live with and continue on with. Well, wow. I guess for me, yes. maybe I go no first. Just to say, what we've really learned is it comes again back to community, and that part of this journey that we're in right now is to recognize how much we need each other. And if there's, I think, any wisdom that we would want to give to viewers is that we've learned community is important for learning about this. Um, You know, we have study groups and we've really seen how the collective wisdom of the group learning together Mm -hmm. is so important. And um, so forming community on all levels and then developing your own inner resources, however that is for you, that those two really go hand in hand. And then those help you come into a relationship with all other beings here and all other life here and the planet and the universe as a whole. So with the support of community, with the support of your own inner growth and development, then we can enter into it. But um, the community part is so crucial for right now. This is not a time to go it alone. (laughs) It's to come together. We need each other and collaboration and everyone's gifts matter. So it's, uh, it's really a time for that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Colleen. Yeah. It's a very important point. I just honor uh, what (laughs) Colleen uh, just said. She said it beautifully. Um, 
This is a team effort. Uh, we're beyond times for the individual hero to step forward. Uh, this is time for the whole planetary community to come together and and to realize we got to work together to make this a habitable future for ourselves. And it's a kind of love and mutual regard that Colleen was speaking about. And that's fundamental uh, to the work that we're doing. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You know, you remind me of uh, a phrase I heard that uh, is attributed to Reverend Jesse Jackson. We all may have taken different boats here, but we're all in the same boat now. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. that's right. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you both for being guests today and sharing your wisdom, your intelligence, you. your deep caring about our planet, about all sentient life and your hard work and scholarship in bringing forward what you have in this book, Choosing Earth and the thank film. You. It's just a real gift to humanity. Talk yeah. about gifts. You. And you're, you're a real you. brother. On, you're a brother on this path. So, so thank you, Mitchell. Yeah. Thank you for your work. My pleasure. My pleasure. We'll have you on again. Okay, great. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World. I hope you got as much out of that as I did. I uh, am so grateful to these two who have done, their life has been dedicated to this purpose of helping to wake humanity up and bring us to another operating level so we can consciously and with respect and love move into a future that we really would like to have. So on that note, thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.